Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. God is good. Yes, He is. It's a... uh Seems continue, like it continues to be a, uh, a busy season for me. I know at least one of you has managed to continue to telework, uh, but uh, I don't uh, get to do that in the uh, airline world very much. Uh, and uh, on staff here at the church, we've been uh, together on staff uh, for a long while. So, But in the airline world, people are moving from point A to point B in larger and larger numbers. Uh, and there's nothing quite like bringing a plane full of kids to Disney World. Uh, except bringing people home from Disney World when you can see the kids are wiped out and the parents are like, oh, I'm so glad that's over. That's really, really great. But uh, kudos to all the parents who've been pulling their kids out of school or turning Orlando into their homeschool uh, opportunity for the the season that they're in, which is great. Um, One of the things, though, about airline life is uh, we stay in a lot of hotels. Uh, Many times they're they're downtown, and that usually means you got to go find a place to eat in an urban area. Uh, and inevitably, I find myself encountering somebody who's begging. And it takes a wide variety of forms. Sometimes it's very direct, uh, sometimes less so. Uh, but I am terrible at, at these situations. I, I, I get angry. I get upset with the person. I get upset with me. I, I don't really know the best way or even a good way to deal with that. So I find myself lowering my eyes, avoiding, uh, walking away. Um, and, and that's, that's not great, but that's, that's what I do. I'm, I'm uh, trying to work on that. But our study this morning in Acts is going to talk about how uh, in first century Jerusalem, uh, within the Jewish community, a, a similar situation happens. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you react when you do that. I'm sure I would learn something from you if you tell me what you do. And I know some guys will, hey, put their arm around, let me take you out for a meal, or they'll have a bunch of gift cards or they're willing to give money or, or whatnot. Um, but uh, today we're going to see what Peter and John did uh, on their way to the temple uh, one day. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Jack for his lesson last week. Uh, for those of you who are watching this uh, online, if you missed it, you can go back to YouTube and, and check it out um, about the church's birthday and Pentecost. Uh, but uh, now this week we have the fledgling church coming under fire from this time from the the larger Jewish uh, community and you'll recall Peter uh, is known as the apostle for the Jews as opposed to uh, Paul who is later we'll we'll find in as we study Acts more focused on on the Gentiles but today we're going to talk about some Jewish specific items in the story uh, I'm going to try to read some of the passage that we go through today. I'm probably not going to be able to get through it all. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Acts 3, I'm going to start reading there. And uh, we'll try to, try to cover what we see. Healing the lame beggar. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb had, was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. 
But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We'll pause there for a minute. Uh, There are a lot of times that I feel very thankful for the medical advances that we have uh, today we have we can make incredible diagnoses we have great medicines and we can perform surgeries that actually in my opinion would approach miracle status if you ask me i've had a detached retina i've had that repaired i have a had cataract surgery i have a piece of plastic in my right eyeball and my distant vision is 2020 uh, that's amazing if that if I, this had happened to me when i was first century i would be another blind beggar at the gate. I mean, some would argue that I'm still pretty blind, and I am a blind beggar. Um, But in any case, um, this man is experiencing what he experienced in the first century. There's no medicine for him. Uh, I find it interesting in verse 2, there's a mysterious they who carries this man into the gate uh, in order for him to beg. And so part of me thinks, I wonder if they got a cut of whatever he was able to beg or what their, how this person got to where he needed to go. But the point to the story really is that he couldn't walk. He's never been able to walk. Uh, and, but I'm also assuming from the story that he's a known quantity to the people. He was there. If you went to worship to pray in the temple, you saw this guy. Um, and that's just a little bit about what it's, what it's like to be uh, in the life of an afflicted person. Um, so we get to Peter. Uh, A couple of quick notes about Peter's conversation. First, he's asking the man to look at us. And I don't know if that's because it's so busy there in the gate or because he's sort of going through the motions of asking people and maybe he's getting about the same response that he gets or maybe uh, something else, uh, like uh, he really needed to pay attention to what Peter was about to say. Um, Second thing that's interesting to this is when he commands him to walk, he, he puts out his hand. And he, so he's giving him uh, an assistance, at least at the first thing. It's not only by just the word uh, that, that Peter gives to him, but he does uh, lend a hand, if you will. Now, obviously, here we've got a significant miracle that's taking place very publicly that has a major impact that we're going to see. Um, but we're also going to see that it's not primarily by signs and wonders that many thousands in this story will come to Christ. Um, and miracles are interesting. Uh, I would commend to all of you C.S. Lewis' book on miracles if you uh, want to know better about how God intervenes in human affairs um, and why that those kind of things are not everyday occurrences, uh, by, but also the fact that miracles like this should not be discounted as a made-up story. They're not. Um, in verse 8, we see that this uh, man, uh, you know, he leaps not just stands and walks for the first time in his life. Uh, and, uh, Ab- and, and what does he do with them? He goes into the temple with Peter and John, uh, giving his, his new legs a pretty good workout for sure because the temple was not a, a small place. 
So now we get to the opportunity for Peter to address the people for the second time. So we're here in verse 11, and I'll try to, try to do this quickly if we can. While he was clinging, he, the man who had just been healed, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, has, ha, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Uh, here we see in verse 11, everybody's come to see what has happened. Everybody's astonished, but Peter takes this opportunity to say, hey, brothers, my fellow Jews, this is, it's not a magic trick. It's all about Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that was healed, that created the healing. It's faith in his name that strengthened this man. Um, it's, um, it's not about Peter ever. Um, also, did you catch the three blessings in uh, starting in, in verse 19? Uh, what, you know, he's telling the people, hey, you, you disowned Jesus and you had him killed, but he was raised from the dead. But there's three things that come out of that. What are there? Total forgiveness. Right? Verse 19, that your sins may be wiped away. They're going to the temple. They're trying to go to a place so, so they can deal with their sins and the problems that they have in their life. And the second thing, spiritual refreshment. He says in verse 19 again, that times of refreshing may come. Uh, does anybody else need that? I mean, I could use a couple more. I need a vacation for my vacation sometimes, right? I mean, it's just, and if I, again, if I was living in the first century, how much harder 20, you know, 20 centuries ago, would it have been to, to go through life, to have the opportunity for some spiritual refreshment? Sign me up for that. And then the last thing, universal restoration. Think about it. The Jewish people are under, they're in Roman occupation. They're being allowed to do certain things if the Romans say it's okay. Uh, but here with faith in Christ, the promise is that everything will be restored as it ought to be. Uh, in verse 21, the period of restoration of all things. Uh, and ever since the fall of man, all of these things are things that we have continued to need and that they certainly needed. And then throughout this sermon, Peter constantly refers back to the word of God. Things, it, this, he's using a language that the people hearing him would have understood. They were coming to the temple. They're hearing the approved leaders give messages that at least sound something like this. But, but Peter is saying in verse 22, he quotes Moses. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from 
your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. Um, everything that Paul did uh, confidently was backed up by his knowledge of the word of God and his experience walking with Christ. Um, all right, so now we need to talk a little bit about what happens next. If we look at, um, uh, as we move into chapter three, I was telling the guys at, at table two, sometimes two chapters in the Bible is like 400 years. Okay, so this is like 400 minutes. Okay, this is two chapters. It's happening pretty quick. Uh, and so we've, we've had a healing. We're walking, we're leaping, we're praising God. And pe- all, all the time it took for everybody to gather and listen to Peter. That's, that's all that's happened. That's a chapter. Now we're into chapter four. Uh, and, uh, I, but I need, before, we, before we get to uh, what's going on in, in chapter four, we need to explain a couple of terms that we see it. If you've read the Bible at all, uh, we see these terms over and over, but a little bit of explanation I think is in order. The Sadducees, uh, you've, you've heard them mentioned in the Gospels thus far, but the Sadducees are, uh, the, they're the intelligentsia of the Jewish people. They're like some of you, uh, you know, the people that are consultants, uh, right? I mean, you're the, you're the smart ones, right? You don't do actual work for a living. You're not out turning wrenches, you know, pushing levers, doing things like that, right? Sorry, Jim. Thanks. And, and, and I are one, so I, I get that. Uh, but uh, they're, they're the smart ones, and they were the ones trusted by the Romans, okay, to uh, give some administration uh, to what's happening there in the area around Jerusalem. So they're kind of, they're not really collaborators per se, but they got an investment in what's going on. And they're pretty well convinced that as long as they're in charge, as long as they're doing things the way that they do them, we're going to be okay and we're going to be allowed uh, to continue. They, uh, you know, they were less popular than the Pharisees, um, but they were generally wealthy um, uh, and they didn't want anybody to upset the, uh, the apple cart. The other thing about the Sadducees that you probably know is they didn't believe in what? They, they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? So, I mean, they were, they were different. Uh, and uh, you'll see this theme appear in Acts over and over again, but the Sadducees were uh, also a little bit more in charge. Another interesting thing about the Sadducees is they actually believed that the Messianic era had already started with, uh, during the Maccabean period, which was a roughly 40 to 50 years before uh, Jesus' birth. So there was an uprising, uh, uh, Judas Maccabees and his brothers and um, his uh, relatives, basically the zealots, had already uh, killed a lot of people and uh, done a lot of things to uh, try to restore Israel. The Sadducees were bought into, that's pretty much, that was the start of things. There were still zealots, you hear, hear that name, right, in the Gospels. Uh, there's, they're part of that. So they, the Sadducees thought it's already underway. There's not going to be another Messiah. Um, okay, so the temple guard is actually the number two guy in the temple behind the high priest. Okay, he's part of a, a group, I think it's 71 people, uh, who have different positions in different responsibilities inside the temple. Uh, and uh, he's uh, the chief of the temple police. I was thinking, do we need like a BCC police force? You know, like uh, we'll upgrade the ushers and we'll do some stuff and we'll have, uh, we'll, add, we'll just convert the prayer room to a jail cell. I think that'll be really, really great because a lot of good prayer happens in jail. I mean, we're going to read about that later too. But uh, anyway, the temple had its own p- 
police force, you know, again, Sadducees trying to make sure that things don't happen. If anybody gets out of line, we're going to send, uh, you know, the temple guard's going to uh, send some people in. The Sanhedrin is the uh, kind of the, the leadership council. So it includes the Sadducees, but it would also include some clan uh, members, probably some Pharisees who are leaders as well. Uh, but you, you kind of get these terms. I know that I kind of, you know, it starts with an S and it's got three syllables. It's probably one of the bad guys, right? I mean, that's, uh, so I'm just trying to give you a little bit more of, of what's going on here. Uh, so in verse uh, one, chapter four, we see, uh, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to them. So those are the, that's who we're talking about. Um, and uh, let's, just, let's just talk about it a little bit. Verse two, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's a problem. And so they laid their hands on them and put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. Um, Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the message, they are not even there at the trial, believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. It's a pretty good day for church growth. Uh, so on the next day, we get into the, uh, to the trial, and Peter's response uh, back to them is, again, not focused on, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. Now remember, Peter uh, ha- has had uh, his times before influential uh, people in the neighborhood before and had, had that great opportunity in the garden to say, hey, he's the son of God. You should listen to him. Didn't actually go like that. Remember the first time he kind of said, I, I'm not that guy. I don't know who you're talking about. You know, then the rooster crows and uh, he gets looked at. So here we are with a contrast to that. Uh, the same formula he gives to the ruling authorities as he gave to the people. Um, verse 9, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Um, It's incredible the uh, fearlessness of Peter, given the gift of the Spirit that he's, he's being used powerfully by God. He doesn't care what's going to happen to him, but he's obviously up against it. This is this is restoration for Peter. Think about it. I mean, how he, he probably thought, well, maybe I will, um, you know, have to, have to die for Jesus someday like he did, but I probably won't get the chance to publicly do better than that night in the garden. And here he is, not only doing better in the night in the garden, he's doing it in front of the leaders of his people in the temple after spending a night in jail. Pretty, pretty amazing. Now, the, the court at this point is pretty astonished, and they don't they don't really know what to do. First, they got, you know, uh, they've got Peter and probably also John during the course of events uh, preaching this way, even though they weren't trained in the Sadducees school, uh, you know, Sadducee Theological Seminary or whatever they got over there in uh, the basement of the temple. I'm the, these are jokes. Sorry, it's, it's early. I, uh, you can talk to me later about the DTS basement project. I'll, I'll bore you. But, um, but uh, these guys didn't do that. They were, but somehow... Remember, 5,000 people are convinced 
that uh, I'm, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, and I want to be saved. I want that restoration. I want that refreshment, and I want to be forgiven. I mean, that's the gospel right there. And it, it, did you catch the part about the, the guy who was healed showed up on the trial clinging to them? So where did he spend his first night with his new legs? He was in jail with them, right? Like, cool, I could go for a run. I could go see my parents. I could, yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but he's clinging to them. And uh, one other, uh, you, know, you know, it says in, in verse 14, seeing the man, <coughs> excuse me, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say uh, in reply. Uh, and they start talking with one another uh, about what to do. And it, you know, some people are, uh, argue at this point in the Bible, how could Luke have known what was happening in the private uh, council here in the, in the leadership council? And it's very possible that a future believer was in this council at the time. Uh, and, or it could have been Gamaliel who trained Paul. There's, there's lots of reasons why. But, but they say, what do we do with these men? This is verse 16. Uh, For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Um, but this is, this is funny. Look at verse 22. In case you're curious how decrepit this person was. I mean, he was so old when this man who had been, you know, been healed, right? I mean, it says he was over 40 years old. I mean, think about that. He, think about how old that is uh, and, and the fact that he was, he was brought to, to walk again. So I, I don't know. I'm struck by these things that I, that I read. Um, okay, we're, uh, we're getting there. So the finally, finally, the uh, church responds uh, in, uh, in verse 23. They've been released. They, they go, first thing they do, they go back to their own companions and they report what happened. And then right away, verse 24, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. I'm not going to read the prayer because I don't have the, the time to do that. But the point is that right there in verse 24, hey, here's what happened. Let's pray. And let's all pray together. And we're, we're in one accord. And, and wh- how do they start their prayer? Uh, the first thing they mention is uh, they use a, a word. That, I have to bring up Greek terms, but I'm not going to try to pronounce it or say it. But the word they use for uh, Lord, at, at, um, this is in verse 24. Depending on your translation, it might say uh, master or Lord or sovereign Lord. This is the, the basic acknowledgement that, God, you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of whether this persecution continues like it just started today. You're in charge of whether or not somebody gets healed. You're in charge of our lives. It's all you. You are sovereign. You are in charge. Um, and, uh, and, and what is their prayer? They ask for, uh, Peter doesn't say, uh, and Lord, whatever you do, make this persecution go away. Um, you know, verse 29, and now, Lord, take note of their threats. Just take note. Don't change them. Don't make them go away. Don't make them increase. Don't make them decrease. Please just take note of them. And then he says, and then, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence. And then while you, Lord, extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
The signs and wonders weren't up to them. The persecution, whether or not that continues, isn't up to them. It's about the name of Jesus. The one thing that, they, that is up to them uh, is to speak God's word. And so Peter asks for just the boldness and the courage to do it, no matter what, no matter what comes. He leaves that part to the Lord. And then finally, verse 31, where we're going to end today, what happens? When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The prayer was answered after an earthquake of some size. I don't know. I'm not sure this building code is rated for whatever. Pray like that, though, men. I mean, that's, that's what we need, to, that we need to do. I don't know what persecution is coming for us. I don't know what's been already here in your life. Some of you, I'm sure, will tell your brothers at the table that it's already happening. Uh, I know that it's easy, though, to get preoccupied with the level of persecution. Oh, it's the government this, or it's my boss that, or something like that, and I just want the persecution to stop. That's not how Peter prayed. Lord, just, you see what's happening here. The prayer is, make me confident. Make me able to speak your word so that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. The rest is up, is up to God, including the signs and wonders. Whatever, whatever miracle may happen, whatever thousands of people may come to Christ, that's up to God. Just give me the boldness, give you the boldness to, to preach your word. And may our, may our prayer, like in the night of prayer, be of one mind, that we would be about the business of glorifying God, no matter, no matter what may come. Okay, here's your questions for the day. Talk amongst yourselves about whether or not you think persecution has arrived. Uh, this is the start, by the way. This story is a, doesn't sound like a ton of persecution because they spent one night in jail, but it gets worse from here. It goes downhill in the eyes of the world. Uh, but uh, how, how can you be confident in light of all that? What do you do? Uh, and then what challenges you more about what, how Peter prayed? Does it challenge you? I mean, are, have you been a person that's been praying for the persecution to stop? Does that bug you that he didn't ask for that? Uh, or do you need that same kind of prayer to be courageous, to preach God's word, no matter what happens? So thanks for being here this morning, and uh, may God be praised. One for all.